0: morning, brothers and sisters. As is mentioned, we'll be looking at 2 John today, and Lord willing, next week, 3 John, which are actually the two shortest books of the Bible, written by the Apostle John himself. And uh, as you may recall, John was one of the first disciples... Called by our Lord near the beginning of his ministry. Right out of the fishing boat with his brother, John quickly was known with his brother as a, a son of thunder, for his passion and his boldness, his fierceness. John was there for Jesus' ministry. He was there for Jesus miracles. His transfiguration as well. The Last Supper, he sat there at Jesus' side. And uh, from all appearances, he may have been the only one there among the twelve at the cross. He was there for the empty tomb. He was there at the resurrection. And of course, he was there at the ascension as well. Jesus entrusted the care of his own mother to John. Upon his death, John preached and healed in Acts. He was considered a pillar of the church. His brother, James, was the first of the twelve to be martyred. And John himself would later endure much severe persecution. History, church history, tells us that, uh, that he was boiled in oil. And yet, miraculously survived and was later exiled to the island of Patmos, the only of the twelve, some would say, to die more of a natural death. John outlived all the other apostles. And it is later on, it seems, in his life, in his ministry, perhaps into his 80s, maybe even into his 90s, that John pens for us the letters that bear his name, the book of Revelation. We don't know the exact date or time or even the exact details of those circumstances, but some things seem to be true. John was a faithful, aged saint, many years serving the Lord. And in his old age, he pens for us these beautiful letters. Letters which I uh, delight to preach this week and next. And letters which really remind us of what is so core to our Christianity. John's emphasis is consistently truth and love. Truth and love. The truth of God's love compels us to walk in love and watch the truth. If I sound a bit repetitive, that's only because these two words are repeated again and again and again in John's letters. I'll say that again. The truth of God's love compels us to walk in love and watch the truth. So we're going to look at 2 John this morning. We're going to work through it in five little sections as he divides up his letter, these 13 verses and we'll consider some of the, the truths that come out of this letter to the church. But before I read, I'll, I'll pray again. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we ask that in this time that your spirit might fill us, that any who have yet to come to know you might know you truly, even today, that they might be born again. And Lord, that all of us might be built up to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would embrace ever more firmly the truth of the Gospel, and as a result also love you more passionately and love one another as well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's read 2 John together, the whole letter. This is what the Word of the Lord says. The elder I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Wash yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for. But may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. This is God's word for us John the Apostle has uh, historically been attributed by the church with no debate to be the author of this letter. And there is so much similarity that you might find with his other letters, with Revelation and with his gospel. The writing is so obviously the same and there's no doubt at all regarding the gospel that it is John who pens it and neither should be there any doubt regarding this letter second John which bears his name see John is an apostle and yet interestingly he introduces himself not by name not with his title as an apostle but he introduces himself saying the elder the elder Perhaps that is in part because of his age at this point, but uh, I think as well we see John introduce himself that way because of his pastoral heart for the church. The New Testament uses the word elder, pastor, overseer, really synonymously to refer to this teaching, preaching, leadership role in the church, and this is the the sort of affectionate, authoritative role that John senses toward this congregation to whom he's writing. He has had an influence in the area of Ephesus and nearby. As we see in Revelation, he writes to churches in uh, what would be called Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey, and he has had some long-term impact there. And so he writes with a pastoral heart to these churches and describes himself simply as the elder. And now it's interesting because the one to whom he writes is the elect lady and her children. That might sound a little bit peculiar. Who is this elect lady and her children? Well, we see the same, uh, we see a a hint to that in the last verse as well. He says, the children of your elect sister greet you. You wonder who in the world is John speaking about here? Well, another clue to figuring out who he's speaking about is the fact that this word lady has a corresponding uh, male term, which is Lord. In Greek, it would be kuria for lady and kurios for lord. And so there's a pretty obvious correlation there between the two terms. And the fact that John is writing from her elect sister leads me to conclude quite confidently, as with many others, that this lady is not some particular woman of noble status. This is a church, a church that he's writing to. The church is, after all, as we see from many other scriptures, the bride of Christ, the Lord. There is Christ the Lord, and there is his bride, the chosen lady. And as we see in passages like Ephesians 5 and Revelation 21, marriage is a mysterious and profound picture of the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. And it's that beautiful analogy, that profound metaphor that John is playing off of as he refers to this church, the elect lady and her children. And the children, just as with a um, natural marriage, would be the byproduct of a marital union, so with Christ and the church, the byproduct, the The outflow of this union is spiritual children. The spiritual children between Christ and his church, the propagation of the gospel through the church in union with her Lord, her husband, is born-again believers. And so, to put it simply, John writes to a church and her members... And he says, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. He's writing from one church to another, and he recognizes there is this family love that we have toward one another. He expresses it to this church, and he says, it's not only I that love you in the truth. Everyone who knows the truth loves you. And here's the kicker. Here's the reason. Verse 2. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So the first, the first point we learn in these two verses, just very briefly, we love because the truth is in us forever. We love because the truth is in us forever. See, each of these little sections of the letter We see truth and love, truth and love, again and again and again. And there's different points that John's making about the two, and sometimes both at once. We love because the truth is in us forever. He loves this church. He writes to them because he loves them, and the church he's with loves them as well. And all Christians love one another, ought to love one another. Why is that? Because the truth abides in us. We have been transformed, changed by the truth of the gospel. God's love for us. He sends his son to die in our place. A propitiation for our sins, as Roger read earlier from 1 John. Christ dies out of love for the sinner, for you For me, for anyone who would believe, he dies in our place so that the punishment due our sins and the wrath of God that we deserve might be on Christ and his righteousness given freely to us as a gift of God's grace so that we might actually no longer be enemies, as Gord mentioned earlier, no longer enemies of the cross, but actually adopted, born again as children of God, brought into the family of God. This is the love of God, and this love has transformed us. It's changed us forever. And it's because of this transforming love made known through the gospel that we also should love one another. Because of the truth that abides in us, and will be with us forever, John says. That's why he loves them, and that's also, brothers and sisters, why we should love one another. We love because the truth is in us forever. We see that even right in John's greeting. His greeting is theological, and after his greeting comes a second little section, verse 3, this blessing in the letter. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, In truth and love. Second point that I might draw from this is we're blessed by the God of truth and love. Simple as that. It is God who is the one who cannot lie. It is God who is love, as John says in his first letter multiple times God is love, God cannot lie. All that God speaks is truth. And it is this God who has saved us. It is this God who blesses us. And so John can say, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From who? From God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. And I make a point of emphasizing these things in the greeting because from here on out, there is much application. And the application flows out of the gospel. That God has saved us, that God has blessed us, that God has revealed the truth of his love for us through his Son, who has died in our place, and this truth has changed us forever. And so it should affect the way we live our lives. See, the truth of God's love compels us to walk in love and watch the truth. That's what John's about to say. So we've seen the greeting, we've seen the blessing, we love because the truth is in us forever. We're blessed by the God of truth and love. And then we get into the meat of this letter here, and we start to see, perhaps, why John is writing and, and what he's concerned about and what he's trying to address. And let me say this before we even get into it. In John's three letters, John is constantly emphasizing A few different things. He seems to be addressing false teaching, which has ravaged a group of churches. There seems to have been itinerant teachers going around place to place, church to church, spreading error and wreaking havoc among congregations. And so he's addressing some of this false teaching, which has done damage to the congregations which he loves. Besides that as well, he wants them to understand the difference between true Christianity and false Christianity. True Christianity is marked really by three things you see in his letters. Adherence to the truth of the gospel about Jesus Christ, love for God and one another, and obedience to God's commands. And we see some of that in the the meat of this letter as well with some even more specific applications. And so, in verses 4 through 6, we see that walking in the truth requires that we love one another. John goes on to speak joyfully to them. He says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. This is not something that John is saying, you guys aren't doing it right. He realizes that as genuine believers, they are loving one another as as they should be, as is natural, as is normal. And yet, of course, there are those who have wavered, there are those who have... Stumbled, and and so there is nonetheless something to be said here. But this is not something that they're unaware of, nor are we unaware of, nor uh, is any Christian unaware of. The command to love one another is so basic, so fundamental. You've heard it before, and I don't doubt you'll hear it again right from the book of Leviticus. God has already told his people in chapter 19, verse 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is not a new commandment. And Jesus Christ repeats it in his ministry, of course, as well. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, in the first commandments, before that would be to love the Lord your God. So this is not new. New. But it is a commandment which requires regular repeating because it is so important. It is so fundamental to Christianity. And you know, he goes on to say this as well. Verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. I think this is an important point, especially for our day, a world confused about what love even really is. You know, you'll hear songs on the radio which make you think that love is defined as some sort of emotional feeling or even sensual pleasure. You'll hear phrases like, love has no limits, when really what is meant is Lust has no limits, and what they mean by that is something which is both disturbing and perverse. But when we look at Scripture, and we look at, say, a passage like 1 John 4, we see a true definition of love rooted in the character of God and most amazingly exemplified in the sending of His Son to be a sacrifice in our place. See, love is self-giving. It is self-sacrificial. Of course, we have passages like um, in 1 Corinthians which define love in great detail for us as well and, and lay that out into other characteristics and traits. But what John tells us here is that love is not contrary to God's commands. Actually, loving one another sums up God's commands. If you want to know how to love other people, read the Bible. Consider what God says in his word. Sometimes people will say, oh, you know, those Christians are not very loving. But the reason they might say that is because they don't like God's commands. We need to be less concerned about looking loving and more concerned about actually being loving. And if you want to know how to actually love other people, we look to God's Word. And we see how the Lord, who is love, would have us love one another. Don't commit adultery. Honor your father and mother. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. These are all... Basic commandments, which are expressions of love for our neighbor. And many more come with it. The truth is that what sometimes our society might call love, say like a a fling or an affair, it's not an act of love, but it's an act of selfish, sensual pleasure, which could actually cause great harm. It's not something that is done out of self-sacrifice for the other, but actually might harm the other. Such is true of a lot of the way our world looks at love. Now for us, brothers and sisters, what might love look like? Some of the things I've seen in our congregation lately which cause me great joy are things like celebrating a birth, mourning a death, Providing a word of encouragement to the downcast or a helping hand to those in need. A generous gift. Taking a young person under your wing to disciple them. Or bearing with a new convert who's stumbling in patience. Visiting those who are sick or shut in. Greeting your brother or sister with a smile or a hug or a handshake. Or a hello. These are expressions of love. And it might simply be as simple as this. Taking an interest in one another's lives. This is how we can love one another as the body of Christ. I could go on. We know how to love one another. We've been in God's word enough. But we do need to be reminded how important this is. We must love one another. Walking in the truth requires that we love one another. And the next bit of the the meat of his letter from verse 7 to 11 starts to apply this in a way that you might not expect, in a way that you might think is actually uh, contradictory. But it's not. You see, from verse 7 through 11, we learn another thing here. Love requires us to watch what we believe and who we receive. Love requires us to watch what we believe and who we receive. And this is where John really gets to the heart of the problem that he's so concerned about with this church that he's writing to. It says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. See, there's people around these churches that are going from house to house, church to church in the area, and they are spreading lies. They're spreading errors. They're denying basic truths about Jesus which compromise Christianity altogether, undermine our faith, a saving faith in the Lord. In, um, in John's day, there was a heresy known as Gnosticism just beginning to form. And, and quite honestly, it's closest... Relative that you might say today might be something like uh, Jehovah's Witness sort of theology. There's a denial of the deity of Christ in the true meaning of that word. And there was a famous heretic by the name of Serenthus. And one of John's uh, disciples down the road eventually says of John, that John was once in a bathhouse, a public place of bathing. Now, we can't really imagine that today, but it used to be a thing, okay? Public places of bathing. John was apparently in a bathhouse, and this guy, Serenthus, comes in, and John apparently said this, Let us fly, lest even the bathhouse fall down, because Serenthus, the enemy of the truth, is within. And he ran out. He didn't even bathe. He just ran. Well, whether or not that story is true, I don't know. But we see here John's concern for false teaching, and and not just his concern for false teaching, but, but what he thinks needs to be done in response. We need to watch what we believe and who we receive. We need to be careful about our associations with those who are false teachers, and also we must be careful to not support them. And so John goes on to say, from verse 8, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Now, this is very fascinating. You see, there are those who are denying the truth about Jesus, and in denying the truth about Jesus, they're going on ahead. You know, there are many today who, in other religions, will teach false things about Jesus. Say, Muslims may call him a prophet, but not God the Son. Mormons might consider him a lowercase g god among gods. Jehovah's Witnesses would actually believe that he is the Archangel Michael. And um, of course, there's many other things you might hear about Jesus as well. Jews, of course, reject him as their Messiah. Jews that uh, would believe in Judaism, of course, as we understand it. And so, this is something that we can continue to see today as well these false religions. But there's also those which, even from within what might be understood by us as Christianity, will also go on ahead. Those who, like a runner, who runs ahead of the pack and goes off trail towards a cliff. That is how some of these errors have uh, infiltrated the church today in the sort of direction that they are going. You know, one good test of any sort of doctrine is, has this been believed by Christians before a few decades ago, anywhere at all? Because if no one believed it a few decades ago in the church it probably is not historic Christianity. okay? And you should have your ears perk up and alarm bells going off that this is dangerous doctrine. There are those today who have new perspectives on the Old Testament or Genesis or creation. There are those today who have new perspectives, say, on... Jesus and His atonement or His miracles or those who have new perspectives on hell or new perspectives on, say, marriage and gender. Well, brothers and sisters, we, we, our ears should be perking up when we hear new perspectives that divorce themselves from historic Christianity. Anyone who goes on ahead, Paul says, and does not abide... In the teaching of Christ, the teaching of Scripture. So those who may well be running towards a cliff. So we must watch, watch ourselves, watch what we believe. Now it's interesting because he doesn't just say, watch what, watch yourselves, watch what you believe. He goes on in verse 10 to provide a pretty specific application for them. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now that sounds a bit extreme, doesn't it? Don't even greet him. Don't have him into your home. And this requires perhaps a little bit of an explanation. You see, these itinerant preachers, unlike perhaps some of the missionaries today, don't stay in compounds or hotels. These itinerant preachers would typically stay in people's homes. Hotels back then had a bad reputation. But they would go to people's homes and would depend upon the hospitality of the people that they were going to be teaching. And so John's point is, if you accept them into your home, you are supporting their ministry. You are housing them. You're providing a platform for them. You're providing a place for them to stay so that they can hang around and propagate their lies. says, If you do this, you participate in wicked works. Don't even greet them. And the idea is that we as believers must be very careful to avoid association with or support of anyone who teaches false doctrine in the name of Christ. And you know, I'm not talking about here, say for example, I have a Muslim neighbor in my neighborhood who we've had conversation with, I've went into their home and we've invited them to our home. This is a, this is a bit different because nobody is thinking that I endorse Islam by having a Muslim labor into my home. But it might be different if there was, say, uh, the Pope visiting town and I had the Pope stay at my home as he's going around visiting different churches. And that would be, the second example would be a lot more similar to what would be true of um, these itinerant preachers in John's day. And besides that, the, the greeting there, if they think that you're considering them a brother, if people can look and think, you consider them a Christian, you consider them a brother, and then they're going and telling people Jesus is not truly God, or Jesus is not truly man, or Jesus didn't really die on the cross or rise bodily from the dead, then people might think that that is acceptable Christianity when it's not, and it could lead them to destruction. So brothers and sisters, we must be careful. We must be careful. There's Friends that I've had or acquaintances that I've had, and this is, you know, not nearly of an extreme example, but who've come to me and asked me for financial support for their ministry. And my questions are always, you know, things like, what do you believe? What church are you a part of? What does your ministry do and teach? Even if I know them, I don't want to just without any hesitation, without any thought, except uh, except that I'm going to give them money because if if I don't really know any better, I could end up supporting something that is dangerous. And there's been times where folks have uh, asked me for support and I've ended up saying no, as awkwardly as that might be. Um, Other times, of course, where we've said yes, but... But we have a responsibility as believers, not, of course, there's this generosity that we're called to give to those who ask, but that's not without qualification. We're to be hospitable, but that's not without qualification, as we see here. And we need to consider how our generosity might actually harm the kingdom of God if we are supporting those who are bringing about false teaching. And, and perhaps more of an application for us today is to consider, for example, not just you know people that you might support through donation, but also what books are you buying from chapters, or what songs are we, Christian or so-called Christian songs are we listening to, and the groups that are behind them, or what sorts of blogs are we watching, and advertisements are we endorsing from? some sort of so-called Christian ministry, because through some of these ways, we may, without thinking about it, actually be funding something that is false and hampering the true advancement of the kingdom of God. And so John wants us to be careful, to watch what do we believe and who do we receive, because... If we're not careful, we may end up taking part in their wicked works. So moving into the last section here on love, as he concludes with a farewell message to this church, we've seen in the first greeting, we love because the truth is in us forever. We're blessed by the God of truth and love. Walking in the truth requires that we love one another, and love requires that we watch what we believe and who we receive. Well, lastly, love longs for face-to-face fellowship. That is what we see, at least in John, as he provides his final farewell to this church, affectionately from the church that he's writing from. He says this, Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. You know, John in, in 1 John, he speaks about fellowship in a little bit more detail. I'll read a couple verses even just from 1 John chapter 1 verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Christian fellowship here and now is something we share together, but it's also something we share with the triune God, amazingly. And what we do when we gather as Christians is actually an anticipation of the final consummation of all things when we are with God. All of us. All of us who believe. And not just us here in this congregation, but but all believers of all time, together, in the presence of God, worshiping the Lord and dwelling with Him in joy and bliss forever. We see that pictured in in John's uh, book, Revelation. And so what we do now anticipates that. And we long for, as is described by Paul, for that face-to-face fellowship with God. And rightly so. And what we have now is a foretaste of that. Here this morning, even now. We have a foretaste of that, but not in its fullness. And John, as he pens Holy Scripture, speaks to this church affectionately, whom he loves, and he says, I don't don't even want to continue writing anymore. I want to be with you. I want to be there face to face. Why? So that our joy may be complete. And, and there's a sense in which even then it's not complete until all of them, John and this church, are with God, in God's presence. Not just face-to-face as believers anymore, but face-to-face with God. Amazing. And so, brothers and sisters, there's times where distance, like with John, may separate us. There's times where As with John, perhaps even age and physical limitations may separate us. But our love for one another should produce in us a longing for this sort of fellowship, face to face fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ, because this is what brings us joy. I confess that I love coming to church on Sunday. I don't say that proudly. But this is a joy to be with you and to spend time after chatting, to to be at prayer meeting. This is something that brings me joy. I hope it brings you joy too. And I have felt such love from this congregation that uh, it brings me joy to be with the church. And you know what, brothers and sisters? This is what we look forward to in a perfect form. In glory. So may we, in love, long for face-to-face fellowship. I went and visited my brother in British Columbia back in June to hike with him for some months. I found that over the past couple of years, the um, video calls and the emails and stuff, they just don't... Uh, They just don't suffice, do they? Some of you, I know, have family in the Philippines or in the UK or other parts of the world and you just want to see them, don't you? You just want to see them. How much more should we just want to see one another and also just want to be in the presence of God forever? This love should drive us to that, to long to be with each other, and to be with God. The truth of God's love compels us to walk in love and to watch the truth. Brothers and sisters, may we continue to do that, and all the more, more and more, as the day of Christ's return approaches, may we be careful to guard the good deposit entrusted to us, to contend for the faith once for all, deliver to the saints and to do so in a spirit of love for one another and also love for God and love for the lost. Let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us and for changing us to be your people. We were once without hope and without God in this world. We were once a people marked even by hate in our sinful nature. We thank you for saving us and changing us and filling us with joy and filling us with hope and bringing us into fellowship with you, the triune God, through the blood of your Son. O God, may we be marked by your love in this world. We ask that you would work that out in us by your Spirit. And may our love also compel us to defend the truth, which is the only hope for a dying world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.